Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, everybody. I'm Roja. I'm a compulsive eater. And uh, Hi, Roja. My heart is pounding. I don't know why, but give me a minute to get myself together here. Uh, I'm so glad to be with all of you. Um, this has been a savior to have these meetings, and I'm here to share with you on the eighth step. And, um, you know, literature, literature, literature. I got old versions. I got new versions. I got all kinds of stuff that I'm going to include in my share. And uh, as you can see, I've had the big book for a very long time when an OA member actually recently helped me rebind it. Um, but this is 30 some years old. So I've been around for a very, very long time in these meetings. And um, the A step. So the A step is made a list of all persons or people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And I'm gonna actually use a lot of the literature today because in going through to do this share today, it consistently astounds me how I can look at literature that's been around for so long and yet every time I go in there, I have places to highlight and to mark that um, help me on a continuing basis to be recovering in this program. Uh, on page 77, which is the first, uh, the first paragraph of the AA 12 and 12. So initially, when I came into the program, we did not have OA literature. So we used AA literature. And I have to say that there are so many nuggets in this literature. Um, it's good to have it around, even if you've been in program just a few weeks or a few months. So page 77, the first paragraph says about step eight and about nine. It says... Um, Eight and nine are concerned with personal relations. First, we took a look, a look backward and tried to discover where we have been at fault. The second paragraph continues, this is a very large order. So who hasn't looked at this step and said, oh my God, or oh my higher power, or whatever is out there, how am I gonna do this? Um, it is a task which we may perform with increasing skill, but never really finish. And that's, that's a pretty, uh, clear indication to me, and it's a reminder that um, these steps are living steps, and they are with us, and we can use them whenever we need them or wherever we want them, when we want them, but they're around for us for our lifetimes. And I want to, um, and it says, it's a test which we may perform, like I said, but never really finish. And I want to reassure you that I can testify to the power of the rest of this, you know, with the help of the power of the rest of the steps, um, that this is a lifelong process and has been for me in becoming aware of where and how I need to make amends. And it used to take me a much longer time to figure that out, but with the help of this step in particular, yeah, you know, I'm able to look at where my behavior is calling to me to pay attention and do something. And I want to talk about particular topics that are addressed in step, steps eight and nine. And on page 58 of the OA 12 and 12, it talks about the concept of harm. And it says, we may have some trouble identifying whom we have harmed. Oddly enough, we rarely have difficulty figuring out how we ourselves have been harmed. So how many of us, if asked, um, can say, oh, that person or that situation is harming me or ha has harmed me? Um, and it's much, it, we find it more difficult, but it's basically 
how do we think about what effect we've had on other people? And the steps that precede the eighth step help us to look at where we have had our resentments against other people and how have we learned from having those resentments, what is our responsibility? And, and what issues or areas do we need to address in terms of our own resentments? And we ask the question, you know, in our way, you know, how have we helped, we harmed or affected people in a similar way to the way in which we feel we've been harmed? Uh, thoroughness is another topic that's addressed on page 80 in the AA 12 and 12. It says, it is paramount to extricate the information we have already collected. So we start with what we've discovered in the four steps and we de we've dealt with in the following steps. And then we look at, you know, what are the issues that are impacting or have impacted us? You know, what are the core things that, that are, we're dealing with? And as we know, fear, low self-esteem, other emotions are really paramount and really important for us to be looking at. And we probably owe ourselves an amend or two. And that's something that I'm, I wanna talk about. Um, in, a, in this share. And the concept of forgiveness uh, in pay, on page 60 of the way 12, 12 and 12, it says, starting with ourselves, you know, what do we look at in terms of where the areas where we have been harmful to ourselves and to which, you know, areas where we need to make amends to ourselves. And many of you know, I've been a type one diabetic going on 55 years. Uh, and I was diagnosed in October 1965. And so there are a lot of areas in my life in terms of dealing with a chronic illness in the long term. There are area, were areas for me to explore. And I want to talk about some personal life experiences. I haven't talked about this much in the program, but I came into OA in Chicago in December 1987. And I continued the insanity and harming myself despite my intellect knowing that I had type one diabetes and that I was killing myself by binging and purging. And I was overeating and undereating. And the way that I was undereating was by binging and then not taking enough insulin to metabolize my blood sugars. And so it was all dissipating out of my body. And uh, in May, 1988, I was uh, living in a second floor apartment in Chicago. And I ran to get the phone and I slipped and fell. And at that time, we did not have cell phones. So the, the phone was on a cord on a, uh, a shelf. And when I slipped and fell, I completely broke apart my tibia and my fibula. And I was on the floor and I had to call my landlady and she had to come up and it was a whole long, um, long period of time in a full leg cast. And guess what? I continued to binge. Um, I continued to harm myself. And I knew full well that this was a, you know, it was, it was slow suicide and that I intellectually knew what I was doing, but emotionally I couldn't stop. And, um, and I continued binging. I continued overeating until, um, March of 1980, when I finally stopped binging. So I had a hell of a lot to um, deal with in terms of making amends to myself. Um, and, you know, the contributing factors, you know, we all have reasons. We all have things that come up in our lives um, that make us 
susceptible to binging and purging and doing those things that are self-destructive with food. Um, and many of you know, I lost a brother from drowning in July, 1980. And um, my mother, you know, developed brain cancer in 1982 and died in 1983. And um, so we all have reasons, um, but that doesn't make it, that doesn't make it, uh, that doesn't make it a reason for us to continue harming ourselves. And the only help that I've been able to get with taking care of this emotional parts of my life is the program. And step eight is an important part of that because I had to apologize. I had to make amends to myself. Um, and, um, you know, what have I done? I've written amends over the years and I continue to do that. Um, I, I to my body and I express my gratitude for healing and surviving. I think that truly this program provides us with miraculous opportunities to continue to live and to thrive. Um, people have called me a survivor and I don't, uh, I prefer the term, you know, even though it's a Kaiser term, um, thriving is, is basically what I tried to do um, with the help of the program and with continuing to not make excuses. You know, I manage my blood sugars with an insulin pump and with a glucose, continuous glucose monitor and with blood sticks. And I do that on a continuous basis. And that's part of my amends to myself. Um, I think about myself as a warrior about self-care and, and asking for help. And most of the time I can do that with grace and equanimity. On page 60 to 61 uh, of the OA 12 and 12, it writes, it talks about how do we make amends to others. And I think it's really well written and there's a number of key bullet points that I wanna, I wanna address. So the first is, how do we do this? We write down the reasons we are angry with that person or situation. So it's not only about making amends to other people, it's also about what's our part and what's our responsibility in terms of how have I felt about those people. And the Roger, that's uh, 10, sorry. Thank you. And that can be healing in itself. It places a boundary around the circumstances and whether it's several or multiple pages, it <clears> takes us a few minutes, hours or, or weeks, we can see there is a limit. There's actually a limit to how much we've been hurt. And we put the writing away for a week or so, and then we revisit it. And we may find that some of the hurt we have felt is already dissipated. Uh, we read what we've written to a sponsor or a trusted person who's not involved in the situation because we don't need any allies. We need people who can address and look at the situation with, with a, a clear perspective. We may also want to symbolically release the hurt by burning or tearing up the writing document and discarding it. Um, if we still have, if we still have um, feelings toward the person who has harmed us, we might try prayer as a powerful technique for ridding us of the resentments. And people with experience or any kind of experience in the program know full well that this can work. If we pray daily for the people who have wronged us, asking that they be given all we want for ourselves, we can be freed of our resentments and forgive them for the harm they have done us. A word about zealousness, you know, the zeal with which we do this. Be careful of codependent tendencies. In other words, don't add a list of people or don't include people who we don't really need to make amends to. 
because sometimes in our codependency, we may think we owe somebody a mend. But the good part of this is that we work with another person so they can check in with us and let us know where we need to address amends. Reparations, page 79 of the big book. How, what are the forms? What are the ways that we can make amends? And this is part of um, what comes up in step nine as well. But these can be living amends. Um, they can be amends to people as they are becoming sick or they're dying. Um, they can be amends what, that we repay or that we make a donation to a charitable organization if we're not able to address that particular situation or, per, or person. Um, and there are general principles which we find we're really guiding, can guide us. The first is going to any lengths to find a spiritual experience we ask that we be given strength and direction. So we don't need to do this alone. Not only do we call upon other people, but we call upon whatever we believe in as a power outside of ourselves to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences might be. We consider whether we will harm other people, other people who are connected to that situation or that person. We do not want to do anything to, to hurt those people economically or a situation economically, emotionally, or spiritually. And some of my making amends examples, just to be very, try to be brief, is, um, you know, since July 1980, when my brother disappeared and drowned, I was so angry for him taking off when, when um, my father had had an emotional breakdown in 1979. He just he came in, he said, yeah, dad needs to be hospitalized, and he took off. Um, and that's partly why, you know, because he couldn't deal with the situation. And I, um, and then when he died, he, he fell off a cliff. And I was so angry at him for taking that, taking, doing that in that situation, because that's the way he lived. He was a, he had a joie de vivre, he did these things without thinking of consequences. And he left us with such a deep emotional impact, um, those of us who were the surviving family members. So I wrote him a letter telling him that I was sorry how much I had been angry with him and that I, um, for thinking that he did not care and that I missed him and I loved him and I wished him grace wherever his spirit might be. You know, to my mother, um, while she was dying for 11 months, I physically took care of her as I could working full time. And she was at my dad's house. And, and um, I worked with family members to take care of her after the brain surgery she initially had. And then when she became disabled physically and cognitively and her condition deteriorated. I, I've told this story, but I'll try to be brief about it. You know, she stopped speaking. We didn't know if it was emotional or whether it was basically part of the problem. And I would make up, I would sit by her bedside and I would make up stories about places to visit and see. Um, she had grown up in France and came here after surviving the Holocaust. And I would talk about walking down the Champs Elysees, seeing a mime we both loved, you know, like Marcel Marceau, um, seeing the Arc de Triomphe in the Champs Elysees. And when I stopped to breathe, she said, more. And so I realized she had been listening all the time. Whatever her capability was with her speaking, she wanted more and she was listening. And that's- uh, Rosa, she... that's uh, five minutes left. Okay, thank you. Sure. And to my father, you know, um, I told him I loved him. I apologized for my anger and resentment. And there were so many things in my stepfamily that were irrational with my stepfamily. And I had to make amends from 
whatever my part was, but I also had to create limits. And when I became abstinent, I told him I couldn't participate anymore in events where people were gonna rage at each other or be antisocial. And, you know, I had to do that for my own well-being. In closing, I wanna talk about page 83 of the big book. And as well, you may well know, this is the page about the promises. And this is what happens with the promises is that we get the promises. We, they begin to evolve and to appear in our lives after steps eight and nine. If we are painstaking about the, this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. And listen to these 11 promises, I counted them. One, we are going to know a new freedom and new happiness. Two, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Three, we, we will comprehend the word serenity and know peace. Four, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see our experience that can benefit others. Five, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Six, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Seven, self-seeking will slip away. Eight, our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Nine, fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. 10, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. 11, we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. And I wish you good luck. <laughs>